Welcome to the X One at Two podcast. I'm Carol Ann calling you from Minneapolis. Uh, I'm here with Ramona. Hi, guys. Calling in from Barbados. And we have two special guests tonight. Heather wasn't able to make it. Heather, hope you're having a great night. Um, we have two special guests. Our friends from the formerly Beyond the Block, James Jones and Derek Knox. James, say hi. Then Derek. What's up? Where are you calling in from, James? New York. And then Derek, welcome. Hi, it's me, Derek. I'm calling from Boston. Welcome. So glad to have our East Coast brothers. Also, you guys are the first men we've had on the podcast. Oh, my word. Oh, wow. Okay, so for our icebreaker question, we'll go through each person again. Um, Halloween is tomorrow of when we're recording this. Um, Question, you get to answer one of the three or all three if you're really into it. Is Halloween an American holiday? Is it imperialism that other places do it now? And or is it satanic? I didn't realize it was an American <laughs> holiday until like um, many years ago when I worked at Harvard, a, pr- a British professor, his daughter loved to visit Halloween time. She's like, oh, in Britain, they don't do Halloween. I love it. It's so cool. And I was like, I had no idea. Just my American-ness, like, doesn't everyone do this? So that was me. So mm. Ramona, Derek, James, who wants to take it next about feelings about Halloween? I'll go because oh, like... <laughs> I mean, yes, you're right. Uh, Halloween, particularly they the way we practice it now, definitely heavily influenced by America, American traditions. Capitalism. Um, cap, yeah, capitalism big time. And yeah, like this idea of it being satanic is hilarious to me as a Christian and as a theologian because like it basically evolved what we have now, Hallow's Eve, is basically out of the Christian tradition. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. Christianity spread, and then we got All Saints Day, November 1st, I think that's right. Derek, you check me on this if if any of it's wrong. But the evening before of the evening before All Saints Day is like Hallow's Eve, and that's like what's now Halloween. So mm-hmm. in an ironic twist of fate, Halloween, for all the crap that Christians like to give it as a satanic holiday, is technically evolved out of christianity so i I find that distinction moderately hilarious or the insult of halloween by christians moderately hilarious oh you you would love barbados then because um back in the day when i was growing up um halloween the thought of halloween wanting to have halloween was completely demonic we talked a couple of weeks ago about the ladies who howled at the moon. And there was this tradition that these ladies would go howl at the moon on, on, on Halloween. So anything considered with Halloween is satanic. But I live in Barbados where we have doom and gloom for Christianity. So everything is going to damn you to hell. So, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but um, like how you were talking about um, the British person that like would come and they would love to visit around Halloween time. Um, a lot of British colonies um, don't celebrate Halloween. So in the Caribbean, you don't see Halloween going on as big as it would be in America. Um, little by little, it has trickled in um, to society a little bit with the younger generations. But it's not as big as it is in America. Like nobody's going to go trunk or treating and, <laughs> and, and visiting people's houses because we're afraid of the killer. Um so like um i don't know all right black thoughts derek thoughts yeah i had two thoughts one is there's a a coincidental 
connection uh, approximately around the same time, Samhain, the Celtic festival and All Saints Day. And so those kind of mutually uh, influenced one another to the best of my knowledge. But the other thing I want to add is that Halloween is historically an LGBT uh, friendly holiday because Mm -hmm. for back in those years, that was the one time of the year where we could dress up as ourselves, wear a dress, wear something outrageous, wear something uh, glamorous and not be judged for it. And uh, maybe in, yeah. So I just want to name that that is uh, an important holiday for LGBT folks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the, but then I'm also thinking about times where it's like, I remember at girls camp, they're like, no cross-dressing, like lots of fears and feels there with our gender, gendered spaces. I'm so glad I never had the opportunity to go to the girls camp. Uh-huh. The skits, because they're the skit tradition is was deep in the LDS church. That's mm-hmm. where we got people like Ryan Gosling and all the <laughs> road shows. <laughs> all right. So um uh James and Derek, if you'll take a couple minutes, introduce yourselves. I think a few people who listen to our podcast have heard of Beyond the Block. I know you're not doing it anymore and we'll get there, but let's start with just some introductions for those who don't know you. So take a minute or two. You're muted. All right. How about now? Not muted. A plus. <laughs> okay. Cut that. Don't worry. Thank you. So I'm James Jones. Um, I am now a theologian by training. I wasn't a couple of years ago, but I just graduated from Union Theological Seminary, where I got my uh, Master's of Arts in Religion with a concentration in social ethics and religion and the Black experience. Currently working on a second degree in um, theological, or sorry, theology and ethics. And yeah, still trying to... I. Just recently decided I will not be pursuing a PhD at this time. I will, however, be seeing what my options are in the future. I'm excited for that journey. Been a lifelong member of the church. Um, Currently just enjoying things in my ward in Harlem. Outside of school and work, I don't really have much going on except this TikTok account and a couple of other extraneous activities. So that's basically me. Thank you. Thanks, James. Derek. Hey, everyone. It's me, Derek. My pronouns are he and him. I uh, was with Beyond the Block for four years about, um, let's see where to begin. I I, uh, was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for about seven years, a little over seven years. That's how James and I met, and we can talk about that later. Uh, I love biblical studies. That's my main passion, but I like all sorts of academic and theological interests. Um, I also like math. And of course I have to have a, tell a joke. What do you get when you divide the circumference of a pumpkin by its diameter? Pumpkin pie. Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. Thank you. So oh my God. I know. Tormenting James again. <laughs> oh. <That's>... <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. That was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, Ramona has pumpkin spice infiltrated Barbados. Like pumpkin spice flavored X, Y, Z. Okay. Okay. Unfortunately, yes, because oh. we have a Starbies. We have multiple Starbies for all the American college students going here. So now we have pumpkin spice everywhere. And I'm like, <laughs> this is so overrated. I, I really don't understand people's obsession with the pumpkin and everything. I'm like, 
Wait, and Starbies, that's an amazing nickname because like Arby's is so ubiquitous, Starbucks of Starbies. I am stealing that and we'll try to use it as often as I can. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Um, So yeah, James and Derek, thanks for like kind of sharing where you've been, where you are. Um, I w- we want you to hear your meet cute. How did you two first meet to then create the Beyond Block podcast? Yeah. Um, so Derek just... Check me if I get any of this wrong, but Derek and I originally met at, um, there was like this tri-steak or double steak uh, thing, the Joseph Smith, the Prophet Oratorio, and they were getting, they were building an orchestra and building a choir. And Derek and I met because we both signed up to be basses in the choir. That's where we originally met. And, you know, there's not all that much to the story, except we met there, we stayed in touch, we would see each other on occasion. And uh, pretty much every single one of our conversations basically turned into a beyond the block episode. So when wow. I, so basically when I had the idea to create be, what eventually became beyond the block, I thought who better than Derek to have this conversation with, because conversation with him just flowed so naturally. It was easy. Yeah. He could talk for a while about any of these concepts <laughs> and that, like that's not even getting to his encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible. So yeah, Absolutely. like it just seemed like a good excuse to both, you know, do the podcast and also to see Derek every week and talk to him every week. Cause our conversations were always enriching. Yeah. Yeah. That must've been before my jokes. Otherwise you wouldn't it was before me. the jokes. Had I known <laughs> about the jokes. Yes. Um, I might've suggested another medium maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah that was a lot of fun i loved singing in the bass section there were like little sectional rehearsals with the, the bass section all together and we would meet and talk before and afterward and awesome. i would see james around at different events um and the, the you know i love the bass section because i'm you know i'm all about that bass <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> i could sense it i could sense it was about oh to come. my yeah, gosh i was sensing it was coming <laughs> <laughs> love it. yes yeah very cool. And I and yeah. I got to know James and Derek a little bit. We also um I played at the cello in the Lamb of God Oratorio, so uh saw you there. And then the Mormons Building Bridges. We were like the first group, first Mormons to do that. Um, yeah. at the twenty nineteen Boston Pride Parade. Yeah, we actually yeah. was that the year we marched or were we just there? That was the year we marched. Yeah. So wow. I remember because I was pregnant and so and then had a baby. Oh, month, like, my. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. Totally remember that. So, That's crazy. That's why I remember that because I was like, what year was it? I was like, ah, all those birthdays. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe that so. was four years ago. It doesn't feel like it was that long, but dang. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um. Uh. Yeah. We're. But Derek, I felt like I inter- interrupted you. What were you going to. Uh, I think I said everything I was going to say about how we met. Um. Of course, I noticed James. I don't. I don't. I'm just gonna leave it there. I mean, I Definitely stick out. Noticed. Let's be. Let's yeah. let's keep it buck. I stick out. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I definitely noticed James at the. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Let's say let's take a couple minutes to talk about Beyond the Block. Like, what was so inspiration was Derek and you great conversations could talk about churchy stuff. But what what helped you to decide like, hey, like let's do the come follow me lessons. Like let's let's amp these up give people Mm. another perspective so honestly the inception i have to um the inception for beyond the block basically started at the black lds legacy conference in 20 Mm. i guess 
must have been 2019 because yeah the podcast had been going for four years so i think it started that year and if you know marcy mcphee it actually was sparked by like the idea that something needed to be done was sparked by marcy mcphee she asked a question at the event that uh, basically suggested the need for an unregimented space where the conversations we started at the Black LDS Legacy Conference could continue. Because mm-hmm. for me as a Black Latter-day Saint, I have very few spaces that I can enter where I don't feel like at least one of those identities are scrutinized. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, if I enter into a white space, my Black identity is scrutinized. If I enter into a non-LDS space, my LDS identity might be scrutinized. Mm-hmm. But like, the Black LDS Legacy Conference is one of the few places that my body truly lets go of a lot of tension. It's a yeah. very therapeutic experience. And I wanted that for myself on a regular basis. I wanted that for everybody, you know? So when Marcy like planted that idea of creating an unregimented space outside of the Black LDS Legacy Conference, like I thought for at least two, three months, okay, what what can I do? And, um, you know... I thought about the idea of a podcast. I hated the idea because long form audio podcast media, it does not suit me very well, but it would be the most effective way to get it out there. And uh, what eventually, like the whole reason we picked the come follow me was because I wanted a reason to go on every week. I didn't know what we was going to talk about otherwise, but I figured the come follow me would give us an opportunity to center marginalized folks in uh, our theological texts or our theological ideas, because after all, it is, we are studying the Book of Mormon, we are studying the Bible, if we're studying the words of Christ, we are going to find an opportunity to center marginalized folks, because that's who Jesus was about. So really, it was a combination of those two things, wanting content to use uh, every week, and also wanting to, um, you know, prioritize uh, folks on the margins. So I think that was the primary uh, reason we chose the come follow me. Absolutely. That makes sense. Thank you. Yeah. I have a couple of things to add. Uh, at, we started this the first year of come follow me at all, right? It was a new Testament year, 2019. Now there's a plethora of, of come follow me podcasts and, and other resources. But at the time, we were one of the only ones that I know of looking at um, the Come Follow Me lessons weekly from the margins. Now there are mm-hmm. more of those, and I'm glad for all those. I'm not in yeah. competition with, with any of those. And Let's I think we, we, uh, we even inspired some of those because people were saying, well, there, we need more voices like that. And, and Derek and James can't speak for all voices, so that other voices came in. Uh, one of our themes was comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. Yeah. And then I would add <laughs> afflicting everyone with my jokes and then everyone. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Level I think I wish uh, I wish general conference would be a lot more like beyond the block mm-hmm. and these other uh, other podcasts from the margins. Right. Just just mm-hmm. switch. Let's just switch places for a year and, and <laughs> see how much better the church could be. Yeah, James, I'm so glad you brought up that feeling of tension. Um, I think most of the listeners to the podcast know that I'm a convert. I joined when I was 24, which is an old age to join the church, I feel like. Um, And I grew up Methodist, so I feel sometimes like caught between the spaces, especially when I visit a place like Utah. I have an accent. 
I live in the Caribbean, I have very global experiences, but often there is this feeling of tension that kind of, I, even trying to explain it to my friends, they don't get it because my friends are white. And I am really glad that, you know, you had the opportunity to be one of those, I don't want to say pioneers because I don't want to put it too Mormony, of just having black people black members being in a in the forefront of you know sharing messages and, and being in that podcast because I know um I, I I tried my hand at it speaking in these public forums and I remember feeling like a flying soup mm. because often it's just me it's just me that's black it's just me that has my understanding of the world the understanding of the gospel and speaking from that marginalized perspective but often feeling like um I, I I really I think you really explain it perfectly because it's still a painful experience for me and it's often hard for me to verbalize it but you explain it perfectly thank you for sharing that mm-hmm. Um, going back to beyond the block for a couple minutes, what are some of your favorite takeaways during your, those four years? That's a long time. Like, what were some favorite things that like you learned or grew like James, like you decided to go to theology school during that time. Like, yeah, it's pretty big. <laughs> Easily one of the most significant things that came as a result of beyond the block. I, I really did not anticipate how much the podcast would grow in the short time uh, since it started. Like we have a, we have a very modest, but loyal following to the point where, I'll speak for myself. I don't know how Derek's experience has been, but since Beyond the Block, there hasn't been a single congregation I visited in the country where somebody didn't know my name. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a different kind of visibility slash validation for mm-hmm. what Derek and I were doing that entire time. Mm-hmm. It was just very humbling and validating to know that what we did mattered. So Mm -hmm. one of the most significant things and what will always be a significant thing to me is the fact that what Derek and I did mattered, that people actually cared what we had to say, that other people actually needed this. I Mm -hmm. often use the example of the, um, the biblical story of Elisha, where they are surrounded by the armies and Elisha's there with the lad and the lad's like scared. And then Elisha touches the eyes of the lad and is just like, open them. Look, there are more people with us than against us. And that's how I felt with Beyond the Block. I felt like the Lord touched my eyes and said, look around. There are more with you than against you. And I felt that and seen that in the different congregations across the country. Every time I speak to somebody who knows the show or that talks about how it's impacted them, it's, it's just like my favorite part of beyond the block has easily been the uh, validation or just knowing that what Derek and I did mattered, knowing that there are more with us than against us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I felt somewhat like a minor celebrity, which makes Absolutely. no sense to me. You're LDS famous. People, because like I would, I would get questions from people, like just random people on Facebook would find my name and, and they would be, have a question about the Bible or have a question about their gay child or have whatever random questions. And I would respond. I would, would reply to everyone. And pe- mm-hmm. people were like, wow, you're famous. I can't believe that you would oh. respond to me. I'm like, yeah. I'm not 
yeah. a general authority. <laughs> yeah. Right. They're the untouchables, the unreachables, the unaccountables. Mm-hmm. Like I uh, was wanted to be incarnational and be, I'm not even, I'm not Jesus, right? I shouldn't even compare myself to Jesus, but I'm like, why not? If it takes me two seconds to reach out to this person and it means the world to them. I'm like, I'm not even that special, but yeah. for them, it makes sense. Don't and talk think, about my friend like that. You are special. Uh, oh, I am special. God, Derek. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what, and I, part of what I'm thinking is maybe Latter-day Saints uh, just aren't used to excellence. They're used to like whatever they get on Sunday and whatever they get in general conference, like this bare bones, yeah. uh, feel good, like platitude that just pay, pray and obey. And we don't know any more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I shouldn't be too, too harsh, but. Um, oh, be harsh. <laughs> we, we got some snark over here. It's okay. We got, but we really got like, snark. like, people are just amazed that someone knows the bible i'm like that's not even that amazing like yeah is that's my academic field like if you go to a neurology conference and people use all these words you don't know and you're impressed like no that's that's their that's their thing right so um i think part of it is uh, the latter-day saint world is impoverished by not encouraging people to become theologians and biblical scholars Mm -hmm. um there are some historians and they're doing good work um but there's no biblical scholars there's no book of mormon scholars there's like um that is done from the margins like i love the book of mormon for the least of these that is amazing there's nothing that comes out of salt lake that is on the book of mormon that's as good as that so i'm really glad you brought up the fact that a lot of people aren't like the bible investigators and the bible theologians. sorry Barbania accent slipped in, standard English kicked in in the middle. Um, but yeah, I, I found it very um, alarming that that members of the church didn't have an understanding of the Bible when I visited Utah last year. Because at that point, we were doing um, Come Follow Me with the Bible. And I remember singing in Relief Society and everybody's talking about the Bible and, and they're referring back to the prophet. And I'm like, can you learn about the Bible without referring to the prophet? I, I was like, first off, and I think I said this in Relief Society because at that point I didn't care. I was like, I'm just coming for an hour. If y'all have snacks, that's fine. Um, and I was like, so I, I literally said this in Relief Society. I was like, you know, in Barbados, even if you're not a person who goes to church every Sunday, everybody has a basic understanding or even an advanced understanding of the Bible. Even if they don't go to church or if they go to church on Christmas Day and Easter, they have an understanding of it. They don't refer back to anybody. They just understand the gospel the way it's, it's, it's been written. And when you guys refer back to a prophet, it feels like sometimes you guys are just taking the surface and saying, let me just skim the surface off the milk. And that's as much as I want. And I, I find it really difficult. Like, can you speak without referring back to what somebody else said? That's my struggle. Like, side note, Eliza Wells's work that she's done researching um, how a lot of leader, a lot of speakers in general conference just quote other, mm-hmm. mostly the prof, like the current prophet, but just kind of the, they're just everyone's quoting each other instead of sharing something new. Or also the sad news that they like have quote David Brooks more than L- LDS women 
slash any women. So there's, yeah, Eliza Wells, there's a dialogue article that she's done and, and a podcast. So hmm. link, link to her. Anyway, that's just a general conference thing. I wonder if we, we go there because of the, like, the Book of Mormon is the most true book of anything. Like, I think like that might cloud the like, but then why would I read the Bible? Because the Book of Mormon is the most true book. Mm-hmm. Or Derek or James, what are your thoughts on why Mormons aren't as invested in the Bible? It's easier not to be. And I think it's just human nature that we want the path of least resistance. And the thing about having, and you know, I don't think this is necessarily exclusive to the LDS church, but where the power is so centralized and the church is global, you do see it bigger. Like I, I mean, I attend other churches or I've seen in other churches where people basically, if they don't deify the pastor, they certainly outsource their, you know, their morals, their ethics to their pastor, because the pastor is the person who knows the most about the Bible or about God in the room. So of course, they're going to know what is the best way to act. So I think it's human nature that we want the path of least resistance. And we'd rather just have somebody tell us what to do sometimes, or, you know, a lot of the times rather than um, doing the work of the hard work of differentiation or critical thinking or research. And, you know, I don't love saying that about that about my own people, but like I'm at the point in my life where, and I think Derek can relate to this. You have to, if you want to survive in the church as people like us, whether you're a woman or black or queer, you have to know what is in the text better than hmm. they do. Derek says this all the time, or at least he used to when we were on uh, the podcast. So I'm, I'm speaking from that position, but I, I think I'll stand on that answer that it's just easier to outsource your morals and your ethics to the prophet, especially if they are relatively easy things to do or to believe, or they make you feel, you know, better about whatever your biases or your politics are. So yeah. short answer is short answer is it's easier to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple of things to say, and this is what, this is why it's going to take three hours if you don't <laughs> stop me. But first of all, buckle up. If there's anyone who understood the nature of the Book of Mormon, it was Joseph Smith, mm-hmm. right? It's limitations, it's origin, it's provenance. Like he's, he, of all people, he knew what was going on. But let's look at, look at Joseph. Like most of the sermons that we have from him uh, are based on the Bible. We don't have, as far as any, as I know, any extended sermons that develop or expound the Book of Mormon text. He's always preaching from the Bible uh, in the uh, sermons that still exist, uh, that we have records of. Secondly, even after the Book of Mormon, he wasn't done with the Bible. He literally decided to learn Hebrew in Kirtland in 1836 because he wanted to know the Bible better. If anyone has an excuse to uh, you know, say, well, we got the Book of Mormon now, it was Joseph, and that's not what he did, Right. <laughs> He also didn't say, oh, I could just go to God directly, because if there's anyone in the LDS uh, world who could go to God directly, of course, it's Joseph Smith. But he didn't even do that. He said, look, yeah, I could go to God directly, but I want to learn the Bible very as well as he could. Right now, he had some limitations in his education. Right. He he didn't get to go to Union. Uh, uh-huh. But. Like, take that as the model, I think this overdependence on the prophet and the overdependence on the book of mormon is something just in the past generation like when you look at general conference talks in the in, in the journal of discourses they knew the bible well 
Like I look at them and like, oh, there's they they know the I they know the Bible almost as much, well as I do, right? <laughs> they really knew their Bible because some of them came from other backgrounds and and were converts, <laughs> or they were doing missionary work among other Christians and wanted to be able to dialogue with the with the Bible in a way that would make sense to other Christians. So there's there should be no excuse to, uh, for this uh, Book of Mormon only thing, right? Mm-hmm. But and I used to say that the Book of Mormon makes you want to read the Bible, like that's literally what one of the points of the Book of Mormon is: is to be a, another witness. And the and the Bible makes you want to read the Book of Mormon, and the Book of Mormon makes you want to read the Bible. It really it reinforces one another, and mm-hmm. it's we're we're deprived of something if we limit. Uh, to the book of mormon yeah i i I feel that in my soul i i i feel like if i'm that person who likes to call stuff out and um i remember in my institute class one time um speaking to the class and i said something that was wildly unpopular do you do something because the prophet tells you to do it or do you have your own personal conviction of what you're doing is right that was the most controversial thing you would have thought I said that you were going to murder your firstborn child mm-hmm. um also I I find it odd that when a lot of the people were doing come follow me with the bible I heard many people say oh this is the first time I've opened my bible in 10 years I'm like what what are you doing mm, I'm like yeah. That is not something to even, I would even mutter that because I feel like God would be up there like bashing me over my head with the Bible or something. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that, that is, this is really bad. And I just think that, as we say, like a lot of people get into the comfort of, you know, the Book of Mormon is here. The Book of Mormon has been restored. Let's just do the Book of Mormon because that's always what we've been doing. And they don't factor in that the Bible is just as important too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, why did you guys stop doing the podcast? Well, I'll um, speak on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a couple ways we could answer that question. Derek and I never had a proper send off. And I don't think when we went away, we intended for it to be this long. Like technically we're just on an extended hiatus, if oh, you good. will. Um, yeah. I mean, that that's not to say we're going to be returning anytime soon, if at all. Like I've already told you how I felt about the, uh, you know, the podcast medium. It does not suit someone like me very well. And I was very hesitant to do it in the first place. It just happened to be the best medium available at our disposal. But um, at the time where I wanted to pull away at least. I was still in school. I was behind. I was struggling and I was trying to prioritize, um, you know, just my mental health and, you know, everything else. Just I was starting to be able to rest easier because as Derek has noted, there are several other Come Follow Me podcasts that are continuing the work that, you know, if I can be so bold that Derek and I kind of started with our podcast. Like I, I can point to at least three different podcasts that started because of ours. And Wait, I was like, name okay, them. name them. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm like, who's out there. I like me too. Yeah. Faithful yeah. feminists aren't doing stuff anymore. No, they had a proper yeah. send off. They had yeah. a proper send off. Um, but yeah, there are podcasts like, so I know that at least unless you said it referenced us, as well as Faithful Feminist referenced us. 
And in their first episode, I don't think they're still active, but Holy Human referenced us in their first episode, just explicitly mm-hmm. saying, oh, well, Derek and James can't speak to disability. So mm-hmm. I want to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, basically all started because we were not doing something that they needed or like it wasn't needed anyway, but like at the very least we could have been the catalyst um, that allowed them to do whatever. So anyway. um, Yeah. And a fun part of that was, was doing a joint episodes. We did some like, like you remember those TV shows where they would have separate universes crossover crossover, right like you'd have uh we did some of those both with holy human and with faithful feminists Mm. and if I recall we we did one with Susan and um yeah we did one with uh unless you said it as well oh yeah we did one with them too we did one with all of them yeah yeah um the uh part I we did take I think it was we did take a break for about six months and then we came back uh, if I remember that right. And mm-hmm. um, it's so I like talking like if you put a microphone in front of me, I'm going to talk. Right. So I <laughs> love talking, but it it does take time. And it it ended up like recording every week. It it, it was a it was a thing. Um, another thing is that the unrelated to the podcast, um, I was going through my own uh I, I don't even think it's a faith transition because my faith didn't really change because I'm kind of this, I believe basically the same things I I did before, but my membership in the church changed. I realized I need to make the outside like the inside. And so I resigned my membership in the church. Uh, and by the way, I support everyone. If you stay in the church, if you join the church, I support that too. So I am not one of these, uh, everyone has to do what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's not even the queer thing to say, well, everyone has to do exactly the same way. Like everyone can lift where they stand. And so I support people authentically on their own journey. But my authentic journey, I realized I'm not in alignment with these things. And in some way I never was. And so I decided to transition to a community that was a better fit. Um, so I, I'm Would in the like process. Would you like to talk more? Of, yeah, tell. Yeah, tell briefly. So I'm switching to the Religious Society of Friends, mm-hmm. um, also known as Quakers. And um, Quakers are not so sensitive and annoyed by our nickname. So I'm just going to throw it out, that out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, in, in many ways, it preserves a lot of the what I liked within Mormonism, the idea of ongoing revelation, the idea um, th- there's just so many things that, 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 that make more sense, but without, for me, the hierarchies, without the inequalities, without the discrimination, without um, uh, the gatekeeping, uh, one of the fundamental tenets of Quakerism is that there is that of God in everyone and everyone has equal access to God at all times. And there should be no hierarchy between you and um, that that access to God is not limited by um, by person, by office, by uh, calling, by um, sacrament or ordinance. That uh, God is directly accessible, um, and there's a strong justice component as well. The Quaker testimonies, which uh, it's oversimplified and and artificially divided, but there's um, this acronym Spices that stand for simplicity, peace. Uh, integrity, 
community equality and stewardship. And I'm, I'm also, I've been a strong uh, advocate of pacifism and nonviolence for a while. And that just so happened to align. It's not that some people join Quakerism because that first, right. But for me, that just happened to align anyway. And I just, there's a, there are a lot of similarities between George Fox, one of the leading first Quakers and Joseph Smith, both were tired of all of the uh, religious options around them and, and went directly to the Lord. But the difference is Joseph Fox went directly to the Lord and received a revelation saying that, um, that Christ had come to teach his people himself. And um, the interesting thing is George Fox didn't say, well, uh, now I got this revelation. Now everything has to flow through me. His point was, you don't have to go through me. Everyone can do what I can, what I did. I don't have any authority that I'm going to give anyone. He didn't ordain people. He didn't uh, pass on any lineage. There's no priesthood lineage. Like everyone automatically, just by being a, a child of God, directly has access to God. I'm like, wow, that's that's what I've believed all along. Um, I just had this sort of veneer of of prophets and apostles and saying, well, well, they point to God. That's kind of how they always were a subordinate and instrumental uh, piece of my theology, not the cornerstone. Like they, at their best, were pointing to, to God and, and helping people remind them of God, but they weren't standing between me and God ever. And I never believed that. And I think uh, especially local leadership, uh, I'm not, well, that's, that's going to be three hours. So we're not going to go there. But basically <laughs> my point is things came to a point where for me, uh, my integrity meant that I I could no longer maintain my membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so here I am. This is an off-the-cuff question. Um, I am experiencing some apathy with religion, faith, church right now. What advice would you give? You both are like very, like take your spirituality, your religion religious studies so serious not so not so seriously but like you you put in the time what advice would you give to someone who's feeling a little apathetic um yeah hmm. well i can yeah go back to um just the the concept of thinking of well what are you passionate about um, if anything, right? And I think uh, so. Paul Tillich, the you know, I'm sure James has covered all the the dead white male theologians, but Paul Tillich says that there's this. Everyone has this concept of ultimate concern. That is, some concerns we have only for the purpose of something larger, right? But what is most important to you? What do you care about? What are you passionate about? And um, for some people, that is God, or or God symbolizes that which we are most passionate about. But I would say the same thing. Like, what are you already passionate about? And does religion or spirituality uh, serve to promote that? Does that help as a tool? Right. I think religion can be a tool. Um, tools can be used well or not well. Like a hammer, you can drop it on your foot. That's not how it was designed. Or you can do good things with it. And um, we see a lot of people for millennia doing bad things with their religion. I don't think religion is inherently bad, but um, 
it may not be inherently good either. I don't know. Like there's, it's a, it's how it's used. And so think about what you are passionate about and does religion um, or does a religious community support that or not is what I would ask. Thank you. And it might not. I'm a bit of the wrong person to ask about this question right now, because when I identify, you know, why I stay, especially because I think I talked to Derek about this. I may have even done it on the podcast, but I like go through seasons of my life where sometimes I need to be more of a giver in the church. And sometimes I need to be more of a taker. I think I even cited that when Derek and I first um, took a break from the podcast, it like sometimes going to church feels like a job. You know, yeah. you, you consider your calling. Like at one point I had a calling where I had to be one of the first people at church. And then I'd be one of the last to leave. I'd be at church for like six hours in a day. And I'm like, y'all don't pay me for this. Like, where is, <laughs> where's my fill? Where is my, where is my spiritual recharge? And yeah, like, it's not to say that there isn't value in serving and stuff, but like when you get tired, you know, it's really easy for apathy to sit in because you're, you start to wonder, like, if you don't get fed, you start to wonder why you go. Mm-hmm. And um, to, to, to be frank, I am... I'm not going to be one of the people that tries to encourage people to go where they do not feel fed. Um, I want them to go where they are fed. And my primary, my, my primary loyalty is not necessarily to the church. It's to my faith tradition. It's to Mormonism as the theology. It is to my God. It's not really to, you know, I mean, it is to my institution as well, I guess. Let me find a different way to say this. <laughs> My loyalty is to my faith tradition and my loyalty is to my God. Um, But I also have a loyalty to myself as well. And where I know that the primary thing that God is concerned with is, you know, making sure that I remember them in all things and making sure that I take care of the least of these. I, I don't know how much God wants me to like, I don't know how much God wants me to go to church when I'm apathetic. I think he, God would prefer that I heal or that I find a way to feed myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't, I don't have a good answer to that question because in my spells I've continued to go, but I've also had to find other ways to, to feed myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So all this to say, I don't have the greatest answer. So you might want to just cut this out. No, uh, thank you. That's I, that is what well, it is. That's realistic, though. I I feel like if I I am at that place too, um, like sometimes my mom is like my mom is a member as well. She joined after I did, and sometimes my mom is like, "Do you want to go to church today?" I'm like, "Okay, mom, it's three hours of my bus. Then I have to sit here for two hours and pretend that I like everybody at church. I need time for my batteries to reset." I work 70 hours a week. Sometimes I just need to be at home. And I'm also a college student too. So it's like, I just need time with me, Jesus, and my bed. Is that mm-hmm. is that my Sunday service? Yes, it is. Um, so I feel like, you know, I, I, I get that totally. Yeah. Different seasons. And yeah, <laughs> I've, because something I've been kind of puzzling and, and questioning, but like, it's been, productive also Richard Rohr recently I'd heard of him finally started reading his stuff and I'm like oh my gosh I love you um 
but just kind of realizing like kind of wondering like what stuff is um not satisfying anymore like what things like used to be so satisfying like general conference being really excited to like tune in now I'm like I am not excited to tune in so just kind of like what things are no longer satisfying and like have those things changed have I changed both I'm also just tired from being a parent to two small children and working so just kind of like figuring out like what what has changed and and being okay with the ambiguity but I'm glad it's not angry I'm not angry right now but (laughs) yeah and I've had this same criticism of the church for seven years it's that the narrative that comes from the top works only for a small amount of people at a small amount of times in their life right Mm -hmm. you need to be uh straight you need to be white you need to be male you need to be middle class or richer you need to do all the things you need to like it's designed for people that aren't any of the four of us really Mm -hmm. i have to be honest so um and then there's going to be times where even for people who for whatever reasons uh, do not find someone to, to marry, right? Or do not have children. Or there's just so many ways that the standard narrative is does not work for a lot of people. And I wish that the leaders at the top would open the possibilities and say, well, here's how you plug in as a single person. Here's how, you, and, and not how you plug in as a single person until you get married. Cause that, right, no, but how do you authentically live a life dedicated to singlehood or, uh, what does it mean to be a woman outside of motherhood and wifehood, right? If if that's all you have for women, then of course there's there's going to be problems uh, okay. when that's not that that's not going to feed everyone. It's not going to feed all women. It's not going to feed any woman at all times in her life. So there's just so many ways that if they tweak the narrative at the top, mm-hmm. they could keep so many more people in the church. They could yeah. bring so many more people into the church. Um, they would keep people from burning out. They would keep people from being apathetic. They would keep people from being at the church for six hours when it's not feeding them, right? I, I blame the the leaders for this, right? Because I, I, I joined Mormonism because of the potential and the possibilities. I looked at the vibrancy of, oh, the heavens are open. That's like, wow, this is so amazing. And now you get this bland stuff. I'm like, yeah. Correlation. It's like beige. Right? Like, this is, this is like <laughs> selling your birthright. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, like I you have a world of opportunity and then you reduce it to you know, get married, have babies, do your callings, pay your tithing, yeah. and do Stay it on the, the next covenant week. Path. Right? This whole covenant <laughs> covenant path language, right? Just check off yeah. these ordinances and do your like that's that's not what Jesus taught. He 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 walked around for three years. He didn't teach any of that, right? That isn't even really what what Joseph taught. It isn't what the Book of Mormon teaches. It um, they take things out of context and like and like they they uh, decorate their talks with with quotes from the scriptures. But that's not really the heart of the message of mm-hmm. the scriptures. And I'm like. Mormonism, the Mormonism that I thought I joined was so much richer than that because I was reading the sources. I'm like, wow, there's something great here. And they don't even know how great it could be. And they reduce it to, you know, temple stair. It all goes down to being sealed in the temple. That's the only point. And if you don't get that, then there's nothing in it that like 
I just don't understand this, right? So. Mm -hmm. Okay, as we're wrapping up our show tonight, I would love to hear what you've been, either what you've been like reading or researching lately, or for another kind of more fun question, what would you consider like required reading? Like, what do you think to help understand like BIPOC, LGBTQ issues, what should be reading, watching, listening to, yeah, either some favorites or something you've been reading or researching lately? Word. Okay, so... My current fascination is uh, something called process theology. I don't know if um, this is, I don't know how much people know about it, but I just started learning about it um, this year, I guess. I first heard it last year, but just to like give a brief okay. description of what process theology is, it originally, it it came out of something called process philosophy, something that was uh, developed by a philosopher named Alfred North Whitehead, and it just provides uh, a different perspective on the nature of reality, God, the relationship between the two that differs from traditional Western religious views. So I think one of the uh, primary things that it teaches about God is that in process theology, God is not viewed as an unchanging, transcendent, omnipotent being, but as a, as a dynamic and evolving reality. God is seen as continually continually engaged with the world, which really, you know, resonates with us. Um, God is experiencing the ongoing process of the creation and responding to the changing circumstances and events within it. It's an understanding that a lot of people refer to as uh, a panentheism, which just means that God is both like imminent in the world and also transcends it at the same time. So God is kind of got like a like a dipolar nature, not a bipolar one, but a dipolar one. So um, it's very relational, it's very open, and it uh, speaks of the spirit in a way that kind of like lures you forward and encourages you to a way where harmony and beauty and intelligence and virtue can be experienced. I think where it like really resonated with me was when I was trying to process how Mormons grieve. Uh, I don't know how many of you got to go oh. to Mormon funerals. Oh, uh, no. Okay. But like oh, no. Mormon funerals have bothered me for a long time. I went yeah, to my first one. Too. Okay. So I went to my first one when I was 14 years old. Uh, some young ladies in my seminary class, they were sisters and they died in a tragic car accident. They were only about, they were only about like 15 and 17 maybe, but you know, they were young. And I remember going to that funeral and not being able to quite peg what bothered me. Um, mm. But you know, you hear, you hear language, things like, don't get me wrong. Celebrations of life can certainly be appropriate. There's something that, but there's something that feels dishonest about a service that doesn't make space for grief or mourning. Yeah, and there's something I cool about the implication that these things can demonstrate selfishness or faithlessness, mm -hmm. uh, you know? And, you know, you hear this language at the funeral and then you hear it in the grieved, but like people will say things like, they, they ask questions like why an all-knowing and an all-powerful and a loving God would take their girls away. And I'm just like, like they say things like maybe God needed them on the other side, or maybe this is their trial, like like it was for Job. But like mm -hmm. those answers never felt complete or right to me. And I couldn't articulate for a long time why until I discovered process theology. Mm -hmm. Like that can explain why God would quote unquote let these things, 
these senseless mm-hmm. tragedies happen. Um, we don't need to put that on God, though, with a process theology, because that's not who God is. Uh, a phrase that is always going to resonate in my head from like the first or second day of that class was that God, and we kind of believe this in Mormon theology as well, as far as why God lets bad things happen. God has to respect agency is sometimes a thing we will say, but Whitehead just says, God can't do anything. God mm-hmm. can't prevent that stuff. The traditional God that is being critiqued has, you know, that the God that Whitehead talks about has limits. God cannot break their mm-hmm. rules. God does not divinely intervene in the traditional sense. God's role is one of, he's not the combat of productive force with productive force or destructive force with destructive force. He's not all controlling. They're not all determining. God's power is persuasive rather than coercive. God aims to influence and inspire the world toward the realization of greater good, no matter what happens, like people's agency will clash with each other. And that's how we get like these tragedies, but God does not unilaterally determine the outcomes, nor does God infringe upon the freedom of people of individuals. God's influence is something different, but it leads us to a vision of what is true and what is beautiful and what is good. So I've really been processing that, no pun intended, mm-hmm. um, and kind of rediscovering and redefining what my relationship with God is now that I have the vocabulary to articulate a God that mm-hmm. doesn't take my loved ones away, but a God that is still present with me in those instances to guide me towards more truth, more beauty more creativity, more grace, and something that is more divine, but doesn't make me want to hate God or blame God for my problems, because that that kind of relationship doesn't feel right. I don't want to be mad at God, even though I'm sure God understands my anger. I think this is just helping me to understand God better, and a God that's more resonant with what I feel our theology would be more in line with, not something that is culturally accepted as a or affected as a toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. I've already talked too long about that, but that is kind of my that is kind of my fascination right now, what I'm researching right now. No, you're fine. I I think that I also struggle with Mormon funerals and the language that they use. Um people saying, "Oh, don't grieve. You know where your grandmother's going when my grandmother died." So I took her straight to the Methodist church and buried her in the Methodist church. I I couldn't deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And I think that goes back to the, the absolute inadequacy of a single narrative, like from the public, you're, you'll hear, oh, you're sealed. So you don't have anything to worry about. Like, you're going to uh-huh. see them again in a few short years. Like, don't cry like you're sealed. That's all there is the seal, the seal, the seal. I'm like, is that is that all there is to your theology? Right? Like, there should be room for maturity and wisdom and complexity and um, a, a dynamic understanding. Even Jesus wept at Lazarus, Lazarus's death, even knowing he was going to be raised up real, right again. Like, yeah, yeah. there's just, it just, I don't like how um, tightly controlled the narrative is around funerals, around all of these things. I think it all comes back to some of these same things but the question is what have you been reading recently i've been so i'm behind right uh in terms of quaker theology like i haven't spent the last decade reading quaker theology and now i'm behind so now i have to catch up is uh kind of what i'm feeling and so i'm reading the early quakers i'm reading modern quakers i'm 
reading a bunch of Quakers. So that's kind of where I am. And I don't really have books or where you or Yeah, yeah, books. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. I didn't Um, name my books. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead and finish, Derek. But I don't I don't have any like LGBT podcasts because here's the thing. Like, yeah, I'm gay, but that's not the even the most interesting thing about me. I don't listen to gay podcasts. Like I'm I I mean, I wouldn't go up to a straight person and say, What's your favorite straight podcast? I mean, like, I don't listen to any I don't listen. I'm not that that was a bad question. That was a fine question. That's valid. But I'm like, totally valid. Thanks for naming. But, that. but straight people don't listen to podcasts about straightness. Uh, so, I mean, so I don't really listen to. I'm I'm getting on with my best life, and it. I just happen to be gay, um, <laughs> and I and I'm exploring a lot in in Quakerism, and it seems to be a much better match. Um, and so I'm I'm very glad for that. I just uh, I'm really sad that that mormonism has this sort of fairy tale uh narrative that only applies to a very 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 select few the you know very few lucky small percentage of humans um get this this very fairy tale um but of course i have to say every tale i tell is a fairy tale don't stop talking Derek we need it we want it okay but anyway so yeah I'm just sort of exploring Quakerism um it makes a lot it just makes so much I I find it so obvious to me like maybe I've just been prepared I think it takes uh it took me some experiences and some maturity and some development to even uh appreciate it because I knew about Quakerism a long time ago and it just it just did not yet I was not ready yet um and I think for me Mormonism was a lot like a chrysalis sort of this Mm. confining uh coffin type thing that I was in for seven years that to the outside people didn't realize there was a change but inside I'm like I opened up and like oh wow I'm a Quaker now that's so interesting so I don't regret my time in Mormon Mormonism that was my chrysalis that allowed me to be the person I am now authentically living into my potential there's a lot I learned and a lot I will be thankful for and take with me but um it's not it's not the right home for me and uh that's that's something we accept we only have to accept but have you prayed about it Derek (laughs) just kidding (laughs) kidding. I'm not trying to convert you back no I really appreciate you sharing your journey and just um and recognizing to that aspect of like yeah during that time you prepared for for what was next and um having that openness toward different yeah your different experiences thank you for sharing that process um James you're going to share um Books, Books. articles that you've been reading? Yeah, about to say, like, as far as books go, I'm reading Monica Coleman. She's a Black process theologian. I'm also currently reading Catherine Keller, who is very cheeky, very poetic, um, very brilliant, and she's accessible. I actually get to meet her tomorrow in class because she's a good friend of my process theology professor. And uh, obviously, Alfred North Whitehead. I hated reading him. He is the hardest person I've ever read. His writing is very inaccessible, very heady, but he is the guy who came up with the philosophy and the theology. So I have to name him, but I also have to name that I hated reading him. Hmm. <laughs> Derek, James, thank you so much for being here. And thank sharing. you so much. 
Um, always a pleasure. Um, any, any interaction I had in the past, I'm so glad you got to meet Ramon a little bit more tonight. Yes. Um, do you guys do public social media stuff? Like where could people find you or are you kind of private right now? That's fine. (laughs) I I mean, I got my TikTok and my Instagram. What's the handle? What's the hand? Yeah. Um, yeah. The handle is just a J A M C J O N. So mm -hmm. the first three letters of my first name, middle initial last three, first three letters of my last name. J M C John is my at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't really have much right now. I think as I um as I get more formation as a Quaker, I'll probably yeah. start something and we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I'll we'll uh, link you later. Thanks. Um okay, last last question. Um what yeah, so Derek's kind of shared like what like you like the wish for the church. What's something that's like little like what's a joke or lighter like uh what am I trying to say? I feel like like with Beyond the Block, you do the, like, what's the gossip? So, like, any gossip that you think is kind of funny that we can kind of poke fun of with LDS Church? Or have you, yeah, stayed out of the loop? Mm. Well, I could say I accidentally joined uh, the church because I thought the Book of Mormon was the Book of More Men. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, tell Oops. me more. Yeah. <laughs> but it has oh. too many men in it like it's like almost all men there are very few named women in the book of mormon as as i'm sure every listener of this podcast knows um what now i have to i don't want to like do the thing of like now that i'm a quaker but um uh quakerism has had women's equality since the very beginning right uh and it didn't flow through George Fox. It was not that George Fox says, now I authorize a woman to speak. It was women speaking themselves that imposed its own authority on the community. And so you have women like Margaret Fell speaking up and you had women leaders from the very beginning. Um, I'm like, not that everything's perfect with Quakerism with regard to women, because obviously it's a product of our fallen world. But I mean, like, oh, like, women leaders speaking prophesying since the 1650s i'm like wow it's great to have a text alone wow yeah so so that's uh something to to think about i'm like i'm glad to be a part of a tradition that's relatively more in front of the the curve than behind like like oh like i'm joining I'm joining a, a congregation, the Wellesley Friends. Oh, I haven't joined it yet, but I'm attending Wellesley Friends meeting. They were pro-gay marriage before I was. Mm. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I, I was pro-gay marriage in 2001. They were pro-gay marriage in 2000. Like, mm. wow, they beat me to my own thing. Like, how, <laughs> like, it, anyway. That's embarrassing, Derek. It's embarrassing. Uh-huh. <laughs> embarrassing about the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? It should yes. be. Definitely it's 2023. But how you let the Quakers beat you, bro? How you let the Quakers <laughs> beat you, bro? <laughs> Found your match. Yes. Yeah. So it's kind <sighs> of a need... nod question. Maybe we'll cut it out. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, like I, like, I like the joke but, you shared jokes, earlier, Derek, I... about the like pray. What was it? Pay, pray, and what was the third thing? Pay, <laughs> pray, can... and obey. And obey. Pray. Yeah. I didn't come up with that. I've heard that before. I so have not, not me. heard that till tonight. That's yeah, I have heard of sweet and obey. But... Keep sweet. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> that documentary. My God, on today. 
my 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 <laughs> yeah Ooh, but jokes that was a all i all i gave i i have a joke um because my baptism was started with an umbrella giving the umbrella to a missionary so like all i wanted was to give them an umbrella and i ended up <laughs> celestial for the rest of my life it's so corny. I'm sorry. Uh, it's 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 10:20 at night when we're recording this day. The humor oh. has left the room. It oh. is what it is. All good. Okay. Thank you. Uh, X one two. We're a nonprofit. If you have money, we'd love it because it helps fund the revolution. Um, but if you don't have money, that's okay too. We also have a blog, we have a magazine, we have a retreat. We'd love to see you at any of those places and contribute and read and write. And we want you, and we appreciate you. Have a good night.